Hello and welcome to the New School OBGYN Podcast, a podcast in women's health, but for everyone. Our goal is to promote good and reliable knowledge because the source of your information matters. My name is Eric Schmidt. I'm a board-certified OBGYN, and today with me, you might recognize her as Dr. Valley Ava. Hello. Привет. <laughs> Привет. Доброе утро. That's all I know. Uh, please consider downloading and following along. We're on all the major podcast hosts, and uh, check us out on YouTube. Video podcast is there. Um, so today we were going to go over what to expect at your first prenatal visit. I did a little YouTube on this back in the day, um, mm-hmm. but uh, um, what I wanted to you know, just go over all the little parts. Sure. Um, a lot of stuff happens at that visit, so good to, yes, good to know. Yes, a lot of nerves uh, approaching that visit, and mm-hmm. um, so let's go through it. Um, right. Again, because... I want you guys to know you're getting good information. This is Dr. Valieva. She's undergraduate at University of Washington, Pacific Northwest University for med school. And we did our residency together in Milwaukee, Wisconsin at Aurora, where I taught her everything. Mm-hmm. Which will he'll continue to claim for many years. Yep. Um, all right. So first visit. Um, I actually like to start a little bit before your first visit. And so that's when you're getting your positive pregnancy test. Sure. Um, ideally, um, we like patients to actually be on their prenatal vitamin, maybe when they're first starting to think about conceiving. Mm-hmm. Um, but if not, just start it um, as soon as you get that positive pregnancy right. test. You don't need to wait for the okay for your mm-hmm. um a doctor provider for that. Right. Most pregnancies, well, maybe about half pregnancies are unintended, whether completely by accident or you just were on birth control and it failed and you became pregnant. Um, and, and I don't know if you do this, Eric, but I often tell just any one of my patients who are of reproductive age just to take a prenatal vitamin or daily multivitamin anyways. I mean, we don't always get all the nutrition and, and um vitamins from our diet. And I will be honest in telling you guys that I'm not great with my diet. So I take a vitamin every day. So yes, start your vitamins early. Yep. And often patients ask me, you know, do they need more or does this one have the amount you need? Mm-hmm. 400 micrograms is the um, recommended amount of the folic acid, which mm-hmm. is important for that early uh, spinal cord development for mm-hmm. the baby. Um, and, and that's that's really the important thing in the prenatal vitamin is make sure it has a folic acid. And again, like Eric said, it's for that spine. And that's what makes a prenatal vitamin mm-hmm. a prenatal vitamin. And so um, if it says prenatal on it, uh, you can pretty safely bet that it's got the folic acid you need. Correct. It doesn't matter if it's gummy or pill. They're all they're all the same. Yep. Well, not 100% well, the same. There's some manufacturer differences, but whatever you like, whatever sits best with your body, right? Thank you for the technicalities. You know, I'm here. Um, so um, one of the first parts is uh, figuring out your due date. And one of the big things that we'll be asking you to figure out your due date is, well, when was your last menstrual period? Um, and the first day of that, because we'll use that to uh, extrapolate by a couple of different ways, mm-hmm. your expected delivery day. Um, you can count out 280 days later, um, <laughs> or you can use, is it Nagel's rule? Nagel's, yeah. Nagel, is that mm-hmm. how you pronounce mm-hmm. it? Um, so. Where you, oh shoot, I should know this, count back. You know, like a year from then, come back three months. Yeah, we don't do that week. kind of math. We'll, uh, you could yeah. look at the app on your phone, <laughs> or just ask Siri. Um, <laughs> don't ask your doctor. We but, don't know. Uh, <laughs> we'll ask you that. Um, 
Yeah. Um, and the reason we use LMP or last menstrual period is because we don't know exactly the minute you become you became pregnant, right? So a menstrual period is a good estimate of when about you would have been pregnant. So it always adds about two weeks to your actual gestational age. So say you got pregnant, your LMP was March 1st, but you got pregnant on the 15th. Again, we don't know when you became pregnant. So we're going to go off of the March 1st because, and that's included in the, you know, the due date. So, and the other thing too, a due date doesn't necessarily change based on like how big the baby's growing on ultrasound, right? I have to get this question. Once we establish your due date, that's your due date period. And also about the due date, it's an estimate most people do not deliver on their due date. I would say maybe one or two percent actually do, right? So it's a range. It's a it's a nice little number too. Yeah. yeah. The best way to sure that um, estimated due date up is with mm-hmm. an early ultrasound. Correct. And that just goes to say that the earlier the ultrasound, the better. Mm-hmm. Less of the genetic, environmental, dietary factors right. take place early on. That happens later on in the pregnancy. Yeah. Um, and so that's why it's better be- to to get that due date or shirt up beforehand with an early mm-hmm. ultrasound. Um, and so, yeah, now you're, 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 uh, pregnant you're start your prenatal vitamin. You kind of know your last menstrual period and due date and you call, um, around to establish your care. Um, and if, this could be a number of ways. Yeah. And if you don't already have an OBGYN or a family practice provider, um, then that means looking for a completely new yeah. set of providers, right? Yep. Exactly. Um, and so there's a number of different providers you could see. There's um, an OBGYN like ourselves, which, you know, that, um, and then uh, midwifery services. Um, and there's some variation within the midwifery services. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we get into that in here, but no. um, as far as like where they deliver and, and those type things. Right. Um, but, um, so people who do obstetric care, so you have your family medicine physicians, right? In a lot of, I would say, and you may disagree, in a lot of larger metropolitan areas, this is typically done by an OBGYN. So in more rural areas, your family practitioner, your general practitioner tends to do obstetric care too. And they are trained in obstetrics. They're not trained in high-risk obstetrics as we are, but they are able to take care of you. So if you already have an, a family medicine doctor or provider who does obstetrics, you can definitely stick with them, assuming you have a low-risk pregnancy. And they'll be able to tell you like, hey, we can stay together or no, you need somebody of a higher certification. And the same thing for midwifery. Midwifery, midwives are fantastic. I had a midwife for my pregnancy, my first pregnancy, and um, they are very capable and they take care of normal, low-risk, healthy pregnancies. And Eric and I are trained to take care of both normal and high-risk. Like, I always feel like my job is there so that I know when things go bad, I can intervene, right? But, you know, we're, we're there for the difficult stuff. Yeah. And, um, you know, generally you call a place, they will help Mm -hmm. sort out if you're going to be a, um, a lower risk or a higher risk patient. Um, but you can figure that out a little bit, Mm -hmm. um, too, with just kind of knowing your own risk factors. Do you have high blood pressure? Do you have diabetes, um, family histories, things like that. And we'll get in maybe into that a little bit here, but that's, uh, you have options. Um, and so the day of your first visit, um, you know, obviously you go to your clinic and meet your provider. Actually, sometimes some um, offices might actually do a, mm-hmm. um, a nurse visit um, beforehand, get a lot of that information, mm-hmm. um, uh, family history, things like that, your own personal social history uh, before that day, just to help streamline that mm-hmm. day and maybe focus more on the, the important things and save yeah. a little bit of time. I think one thing I wanted to also mention is how do you choose which provider to go see is um, 
where do you live and where which hospital do you think you want to deliver? And obviously you can always change your mind later and seek care from a mm-hmm. different provider, especially if you don't get along with them or they're just not your personality. Uh, but find out, hey, where do you live? How far do you need to go to your appointments? Because you'll have a lot of them. Which hospital are you going to deliver? Is your hospital three hours away from where you are? And is mm-hmm. that a reasonable mm-hmm. you know, clinic mm-hmm. to go to, right? So um, yeah, and then once you get in, then we'll kind of triage who is the best provider to be seen yeah to be see to be seeing you the whole pregnancy yeah it's definitely trying to you know you do try and keep those points in mind mm-hmm. because you don't want to we're, we're 20 minutes south of 20 30 minutes south of seattle and sometimes patients think they want to go delivering in seattle and then they end up switching care because the appointments get closer together to mm-hmm. us and and also or they said again knowing traffic. <laughs> and knowing your risks too right um and the NICU level um if you have a pregnancy that has increased risk for preterm delivery or something like that, um, then you're probably going to want to look at a place with a higher mm-hmm. level of NICU care. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't have to potentially be transferred, um, later on. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so I get this question a lot when I'm, you know, talking you know to patients and I am very upfront about it because I think it's good to know is mm-hmm. how does a call schedule work and will you be there for my delivery? Delivering will you be, right? who will be delivering my baby? Because mm-hmm. often I think rightfully so people want to know that. Yep. Um, the, the way that obstetrics I used to be is you'd have your own OB and they come and, you know, we'd be on call 24 um, seven. We, I think most people don't do that anymore. I, I, I can think of only like one or two OBs, that I think do that, but typically we have a call schedule. So Eric and I work together. We're in the same call group. Um, and typically I would expect, you know, I tell my patients, it's most likely not going to be me delivering you just because I cannot physically be awake 24 seven available, take care of life, kids, clinic, etc. And it's unfortunate, you know, you build this relationship, but then you're not there to deliver. But at the same time, if it's my patient, I know Eric will take great care of her. And mm-hmm. I know if it's one of my other partners, they will too. And I personally wouldn't work anywhere where I didn't feel comfortable with my partners taking care of my patients, right? So even though we're not going to be the ones delivering you or your baby, doesn't mean we're not there to take care of you and help you with any other questions or concerns yeah. of your pregnancy. And we, we control the people we hire, to add to that point. Oh my and gosh. so. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm saying like we don't control; we choose wisely. Well, we—I mean, we wouldn't hire somebody. The force is we strong with us. We wouldn't, we wouldn't. We wouldn't hire someone that you know. And, and again, there's anyway. Um, you will you will have somebody that your provider yes. trusts yes. delivering you. Yeah. Um, and if you know you need to have a C-section or you're labor induced for whatever reason, then we try to coordinate. Obviously, we want to be there for you as much as we can. Um, and I I love delivering my patients, but it's just unfortunately that's just it's not realistic anymore. Um. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, yeah. And sometimes, like you, you know, within our clinic, you might you know I might not be available. I might be on call or oh my gosh, I take vacation sometimes or I'm in the OR and you might meet one of my other partners. And that's a really good way to learn other people in the office and potentially meet somebody who could be delivering you too, right? So it's not always a terrible idea to see another provider in the office, especially if one's on yours is unavailable. So and each practice might do it a little bit separately mm-hmm. too. Um, like for example, for our practice, we generally have our group or have our pregnant patients and we see them and try and see them basically every visit. Mm-hmm. Um, and less frequently, potentially, maybe they see a different, different provider in our, in our group, but we try to see them every visit. Absolutely. And that's nice for a lot of different ways. But mm-hmm. then there's this alternative way is some practices might alternate you with the providers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 
um, that introduces you to more of the providers in the group. So you have yeah. more of a familiar familiarity with the other providers, yeah. but, um, and each has its own positives, sure. negatives, but find out what, you know, what would be better for you? How, what do you feel most comfortable with and tailor your experience towards that? And mm-hmm. if that's not how you feel would be a good experience for you within a group, then find a different provider. Like I said before, you have to be comfortable with what you're with and what mm-hmm. clinic you're with. Um, the reason why the first visit is a lot longer than basically every single mm-hmm. subsequent visit um, is that we're going over a lot of the history. A um, lot, a lot of history, a lot of weird questions. <laughs> yeah, you know, th- questions you haven't thought of in a long time, potentially, or ever. Um, but, you know, your own personal history, mm-hmm. family history, mm-hmm. so maternal, uh, paternal side of, you know, are there certain diabetes, you know, a lot of different medical um, right. conditions, um, your gynecologic history, um, your surgical history, uh, behavioral health, um, and we even want the dad's, absolutely, uh, the father of the baby's history, um, because that matters just as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's nice to actually have these conversations with the family members before the visit. Yeah. So, um, so we can, you know, figure out the risk factors as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons I really love having family at prenatal visits or just any appointment is you, you get to learn more things, you know, you might not know what grandma suffered from or auntie suffered from, but mom who's there might know better, right? And it's just a good way to gather information. And it's been hard with COVID not seeing family at the visits. But... COVID is done now. Oh, May 11th, May 11th. Okay. Um, so yes, we're going to be asking you a lot of weird questions that you are you may wonder, why is she asking me yep. this? <laughs> this know, is not relevant. So your, your, your work life, home mm-hmm. life, stressors, um, you know, the, was this a planned pregnancy mm-hmm. or not? Um, you know, we just want to know things. Um, to to better take care of you for mm-hmm. healthy mom, healthy baby pregnancy. Um, exam. Um, this can vary. Um, certainly vital signs, blood pressure, heart rate, mm-hmm. um, height and weight. Those are things we monitor very closely throughout the pregnancy. Um, uh, ultrasound. Um, if a patient isn't already scheduled for mm-hmm. an ultrasound with me that day, I think it's probably one of the first things I do in the office visit before I do any of the things we just talked mm-hmm. about. Um, because I feel like the patient's just kind of sitting there nervous, like, nervously. Like, am I really pregnant? <laughs> like, well, yeah. And, or, you know, that, that some people, it just can be anxious. In, sure. Like uh, if you time. had miscarriage so, or things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. For sure. One of the, f- the first things I'm doing is ultrasound just to confirm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah. Um, pelvic exam, you know, it's a time when someone might be presenting to the, a provider for the first time mm-hmm. in a while. And so sometimes all. there is a pelvic exam, basically for a pap smear. Yeah. Um, there's no real other reason that I can foresee yeah. to do one, although, I, you know, I, I know would, some people do. I would say the textbook first OB visit, and I say textbook because it is in our textbook, is to do like a full physical breast pelvic exam. Yeah. Um, Again, a little bit more of an old school thing, unless you really need an exam or you have, you know, concerns with discharge or an STD or something like that, then we don't really do it. And, you know, if it is your very first visit to a GYN and you've Mm. never had a pelvic exam, um, maybe not the best day to do it, right? We can talk about it and maybe we can do it at a different visit when you feel a little bit more comfortable. Um, So I would say I don't always jump into it right away. It's it's really seldom that I actually do a pelvic exam during my initial OB visit. Very similar practice for me. Mm-hmm. Um, pap smears are not an emergent thing. Nope. Um, and so I for sure like to build that trust mm-hmm. um, uh, before um, doing that. Now, if there is a medical reason, sure. which I, you know, yes, potentially we might. But anyway, 
We'll talk about it. We'll yeah. talk about it. Yeah. It's um, always a conversation. And a big, another to move on, another big part of that first visit is the lab mm-hmm. um, and getting um, blood work done, collect a urine sample, um, you know, to, to screen for certain mm-hmm. um um, things in the pregnancy, whether it's um, abnormal blood counts, um, antibodies, infectious testing, uh, we do all of that. And as long as screen for asymptomatic um, UTIs or mm-hmm. basically bacteria in your urine, um, because um, that can be a little higher risk with with pregnant women of getting asymptomatic bacteria in the urine and so and also a higher risk of that mm-hmm. getting worse and getting a yeah. kidney infection later on so we want to identify and treat that mm-hmm. and i i get people asking me why do i need an hiv or syphilis or you know mm-hmm. gonorrhea test i don't have any of those and it, it goes back to we want to standardize care for everybody right there's mandatory testing and non-mandatory you can always decline these tests we just want to know where you are how healthy are you going to be do we need to worry about anything extra and also the pediatricians want to know this information because if we're not poking you we're going to be poking your baby down the road and we don't like to poke babies we're not making a judgment assessment and that's why it's standardized Mm -hmm. often um and kind of an Mm opt-out situations because we don't want to pick a patient and be like you you get it you you don't get it yeah um, and make <laughs> you look like you have this this um, right we don't want things do are that. pretty rare um mm-hmm. but we don't uh you know we don't want to miss something and, if, and right. often patients again they, they probably never had this done before right um mm-hmm. so that's why these prenatal visits are unique is it's otherwise healthy people who haven't mm-hmm. had a need to go to right um the office yeah and then there's more optional testing and this in of itself could be a different whole separate yeah. podcast but Carrier screening or and genetic screening. So um, carrier screening is, are you and your partner or your partner potentially carriers of some sort of a genetic condition or a mutation that might negatively impact your pregnancy or just for planning purposes? Um, and this is, again, maybe you've had this done before for some other reason, but it's definitely an optional test. And, you know, you might think, oh, I don't have anything in my family or nobody in my family has this, but you never know if you're a silent carrier, even if it's not been expressed. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about it. I didn't know, but I was a silent carrier. This is your option. This is my option. I have, I'm a carrier fragile X mutation, which can cause developmental delays in children. And um, I was one of those people that, and I should have known better because I'm an OB, right? That I was like, oh, nobody in my family has this. No, I've never known anybody like Mm -hmm. in my hometown or whatever that Mm -hmm. ever had this. So why do I need to have this testing, right? Um, But it's something that's, that, could potentially impact your fertility that could potentially impact your pregnancy so if you want to know great if you don't want to know that's okay too we want to make sure that you're aware that you have these options for you yeah and and that's something that you know we're encountering you know you can do that carrier screening mm-hmm. um even before you're pregnant absolutely um you know cuz i mean one of the more common things that, for example cystic fibrosis mm-hmm. um you know recessive trait um oh god i'm going to Oh geez, Eric. Rock my brain here. You need two recessive. <laughs> you need two recessive traits, and so if you have a silent carrier in mm-hmm. your partner, um, you got there. You have a certain percentage, sure. a fifty percent chance, mm-hmm. right? No, I stopped listening to you. What? No, twenty five percent chance. Twenty five percent. Okay, quick math. Um, or, of of uh, yeah. affected baby, and and so it, or, it's, or like sickle cell, right? Yeah. I mean, we don't we don't say like you need to have this test, but it's just something to be aware of, like or if you know it's in your family, but just everybody is at risk for everything, right? We want to know. Um, yeah. So, 
Um, and genetic screening too. Um, we'll touch on that. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a few options for that one. Um, and genetic screening is looking for things like Down syndrome um, or other chromosomal abnormalities um, in the pregnancy. Specifically in the pregnancy, not in you as an individual. Yes. Yes. yes this is for testing for the pregnancy, um, mm-hmm. the baby. Um, and that the earliest that can be done is first trimester, give or take 10 weeks. Yep. Mm-hmm. Some tests, I think, say nine weeks. Um, but a couple early on, if, if, if you're in your uh, first trimester, um, you can have two options. Basically, the old kind of standard best test um, mm-hmm. was the first trimester screening, which is a combination of an ultrasound where they look at the thickness of baby's neck. So maybe you've heard that before. Um, and they use that along with some blood tests to look mm-hmm. at a different hormone level. Um, and, um, with that, they use an algorithm to see is the pregnancy at higher risk or not. Now it's not a yes or no test that would, um, would be genetic testing mm-hmm. uh, of the pregnancy. This is genetic screening. This is to see if you need any more testing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, and then it, whether your risk is increased or decreased by that number, it might help direct you on what you want or mm-hmm. need to do next. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of the the newer kit on the block is the cell-free DNA. Uh, we we did that. I mean, I don't know how long it's been around, maybe 10 years. Um, but it was often done in like high, five or 10 years. Sure. Um, done in higher risk populations. Uh, it's blood work that can be done um, anytime after give or take at 10 weeks of pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually collects uh, fragments of baby's DNA within the maternal blood system and it pieces that together to give you your new risk. Now, mm-hmm. it turns out that at detecting these things, um, um, it can be very um, accurate. Uh, with a high sensitivity um, of detection, um, there still is risk of false positive things like that. But anyway, it's it's a it's a good test, mm-hmm. um, especially you know if someone um, has increased risk mm-hmm. factors, whether it's age or family history. Um, but it's still a screening test. It's not a one hundred percent. But the closest is, thing right. you know to this potentially a little bit better detecting mm-hmm. than the first trimester. Definitely. And this is the one where we also can um, again get a. Yeah the baby's um, or the fetal sex. And it also doesn't check on either of these tests. They don't check for everything under the sun. We're just checking for the most common genetic disorders that might, that might come up. So if there's a super rare disorder that the test doesn't look for and, you know, your baby's born and they have this abnormality, it's not something that we may have screened for, right? No, yeah. Yeah. But we do the best that we can. This is what's available to us and we can't always find everything. And some patients do come into the visit thinking mm-hmm. this genetic screening, these options that we just talked about. Mm-hmm. Oh, and there's a second trimester test, which you do after 15 weeks, between mm-hmm. 15, 20, give or take. Um, and that's just looking at blood hormone levels. Mm-hmm. Not quite as good, but an option for people who may not have known they're pregnant early on or couldn't get into that visit for these other tests. Or maybe their insurance doesn't cover the Or insurance test, doesn't cover right? the cell-free DNA. Um, so um, that's another one. Um, but the what people often think genetic screening of the pregnancy is, is genetic testing, mm-hmm. which that's the, in, the invasive testing. That's sure. the, the CVS, which is a uh, chorionic villus sampling. Um, and that would be, again, first trimester, give or take. Um, and then the amniocentesis, um, well, they're similar in how they're done. Um, but the, the, for the amniocentesis, which is more well-known and I would say is more often done if it's needed to be done, that is the, the needle that goes into the belly and samples the amniotic fluid. Mm-hmm. Um, and so obviously a little scarier of a, and a little more invasive, but if by chance someone is looking for that yes, no answer, whether or not they're 
their their risk was increased by mm-hmm. the prior test we mentioned. This is how you get the yes or no answer. Yeah. And, you know, people may choose or choose not to do any kind of genetic testing or screening. And it's a very personal decision to have this test done. Mm -hmm. It's nothing that I don't think either one of us ever like encourage or pressure people into doing because, you know, the reasons for doing it can vary from couple to couple or family to family. I mean, for some people, they're like, I don't care. I love my baby either way. I'm not interested. And sometimes, you know, like if you wanted to know, but then you get this abnormal test result, right? And then you know that this baby has some kind of a condition. It might maybe negatively impact this whole pregnancy, might, you know, depression, anxiety, concerns, stresses. Um, Some people want to know just so they can be prepared, right? Like, oh my gosh, my kid's going to have a big heart abnormality. Like, I want to know what kind of doctors they might need, you know, what kind of setup I need in my home or whatever. And some people may terminate a pregnancy based on it, especially if it's a what we call lethal anomalies or an abnormality where a baby can survive outside of the womb, right? So there's a lot of different reasons. And I would, you know, we typically talk to our patients about it. And I hope your OB-GYN will talk to you about it. Yeah. But it's, it's an option. It's, it's, yeah. it's not mandatory. It's a choice. And we're here to discuss it with you. Yeah, some, some people want all the information. Some mm-hmm. people don't. Yeah. Um, but I, I try to encourage people not to think out of it in a way of I, you know, we're only doing it to you know if you wouldn't like let's say there's an abnormality found and someone's like well I wouldn't terminate the pregnancy anyway. It's still good to know that information mm-hmm. because we might monitor the pregnancy differently. Sure, if there's a known increased risk of cardiac defects or mm-hmm. something like that, and help get that coordination uh, earlier for that yeah. um, little baby so when they're born they have everything they need. Absolutely, and another you know people are like well we're going to do an ultrasound anyways. Why do I need this test? Ultrasounds don't catch everything. We mm-hmm. they can catch physical abnormalities. They don't catch genetic or bloodborne abnormalities. So something to keep in I mean, mind. Even then, maybe not everything, but yeah. Right. Yeah. Not everything. We're not perfect. We're getting there though. Yeah. <laughs> Medicine Pretty still close. has a lot of a lot of progress to 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 make. Well, on that note. Oh, we also harass you about your diet and exercise. Well, maybe not harass. Well, I think but... <laughs> I think those are good time. You know, I for management of certain issues. Mm-hmm. I mean, we'll, we'll I think get into that. In, in different segments, you know, for as far as like things like weight gain and pregnancy, mm-hmm. diet and exercise, uh, we actually talked about a little bit um, already um, in the first podcast, I believe mm-hmm. that was exercise um, in pregnancy, but um, also the common issues, nausea, bleeding in early pregnancy, mm-hmm. we'll get all into that, um, hopefully in not too long of a future. So much to unpack. Yes. All right. Well, perfect. That does it for uh, today's episode. Um, Thank you for listening and viewing. Uh, If there are any questions, um, go to the YouTube channel and into the comments and happy to answer those. But as always, um, you know, the content of this podcast is for educational purposes only. Um, None of the content is meant for personal medical advice. Please contact your medical provider if you're in need for personal medical advice. Mm -hmm. Thank you again and everyone have a great day. Bye. Thank Thank you, you, Doctor. Thank you for having me, Doctor. 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 Doctor.